0: Codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel.
1: Your hosts.
0: So joining us for this episode of Trek It Out is actor, director, teacher, and writer Richard Hatch, known for his roles as Captain Apollo in the 1978 series Battlestar Galactica, and later as Tom Zarek in the sci-fi channel Reimagining of the Series. Mr. Hatch, thank you so much for joining us this evening.
2: It's great to be here.
0: So let's dive right in. As an actor, how do you typically prepare for a role in, in a science fiction genre? What do you use for reference to help bring a character to life?
2: Well, first of all, it's not about preparing for a sci-fi character. A character is a character. So as actors, we learn, I mean, every actor has their own way of doing things. Some actors just learn the lines and do it any way it comes. I mean, they just intuitively do it whatever feels right to them. Other people have more of a craft. I've studied all kinds of different processes for acting. So I, you know, I, I basically, first of all, let the characters speak to me. Who is this person? What motivates that person? What drives that person? What's going on inside that person emotionally, psychologically? I explore all those elements and then I find connections to not only my own experience in life, but by using my imagination, I can explore hypothetical circumstances that maybe I have never actually experienced myself. But if I put myself into that imaginary situation, it will affect me on an organic level. I work very organically acting to me is not about acting it's about actually experiencing and connecting to the material on a deeper level and bringing it to life in a more organic realistic way where moment to moment you're experiencing that hypothetical reality or situation or character as if that was you experiencing that person's life moment to moment every actor has their own way of doing that i obviously have my way of working but i definitely put a lot of energy and work into every character i play trying to get in touch with the deeper core of who that person really is, not just what they're saying, the lines the dialogue, but what is the subtext? Everybody's driven by different things. Some people have fear issues, insecurity issues. they need to prove themselves all the time. other people are self-destructive. Everybody's got certain things driving them based on what's happened to them in their life. And characters that are on a written page are no different. You got to bring them to life as if they were real human beings flesh and blood human beings, multi-dimensional human beings. So it's, there's a lot more to acting than just learning lines and saying the words uh, and trying to say them a certain way that the director might ask you to do. It's, there's a lot more to it than that. There's a million ways you can play the same scene, and there's a million ways the words can come out of your mouth. And the best actors don't know exactly how it's going to come out each time. It's a little different each time. It's a moment-to-moment, intuitive, organic process. And uh, the best actors surprise you. You never know where they're going to go or what's going to come or what emotions are going to come. It's a moment-to-moment revelation to them as well. But they do have an overall idea of where they want to go with the scene and the choices that they've made in terms of how they want to play the scene. But how they say those words is not something that great actors plan.
1: You've written a lot of science fiction over the years, and we're going to probably talk a little bit more about that later, but do you go anywhere else to get your inspiration for when you write those science fiction stories, or does it all come from your imagination? Where does that come from?
2: Anything that I write comes from my curiosity about the universe, about life, about the world, about who we are as human beings, where we've come from, history cultures, civilizations. I'm always exploring deeper questions. I'm very, uh, if you want to call it, I have a very fertile imagination. So I begin to get an idea for a story, just like my Great War Magellan or Guam, short for calling it uh, this epic journey of a character that's been alive for thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, I get an idea for something and then creatively I begin to let that character have a voice and I kind of play and dance with that character in various situations letting that character begin to unfold to me and then the story slowly starts to fill in it just all starts to come to life as each character introduces me to new characters I kind of let it unfold step by step again some writers you know will have everything all laid out and planned before they even start but once I get an idea and I have a character to kind of start the engine I start letting that character take me down a path and unfold the story for me but again for me Great story writing, great movies are much more than entertainment. They have to be entertaining. You know, great movies are really about so much more. They give us insights into our humanity, insights into love, life, romance, into the greater questions of exploring what this universe is all about. And that's partly what I love about science fiction is it takes us human beings on this grand journey to the stars, and we explore hypothetically where we will be or what might happen in the next 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 10,000 years, and I find that extremely exciting, and it just fascinates me that anybody can look up to the stars and not wonder what's out there and what our relationship is to this, this universe that's so much bigger than this Earth we live on, which is big enough by itself, right? I mean, some people have trouble dealing with anything outside their block or their city. But I think in this day and age, we're more connected digitally. So we're aware of what's going on in the world. And I've always been interested in even bigger and grander questions than what's going on in this world. I want to know, how did we evolve? Where did we come from? What did we come out of? You know, what's going on in this universe that we don't know about? I think great stories come out of that, especially in the sci-fi fantasy uh, genre
0: that's really exciting as an actor myself I'm very fascinated into your approach and your philosophy behind it so it's very very entertaining listening to this and one day who knows we'll get to talk about it at a convention more but anywho
2: like <laughs> well, I teach by the way I, I you know I've done workshops and seminars not only on acting and writing and screenwriting but also on how to live a more fulfilling successful life how to leverage your talents and abilities into the marketplace how to overcome fear how to really find out who you are and what you're good at and Find your path in life that will lead you to your greatest happiness and success. I've done all that. I've studied philosophy, psychology, physics. There's nothing that doesn't intrigue me, so I love weaving all of that into the stories that I do. And acting, again, is the consummate art because you have to learn how to use this incredible instrument we have, using your imagination, using your life experience. And then, for me, acting goes beyond that into the mystical because somehow, someway, when we really start, connecting to a piece of material, to a character, to something, something happens inside of us, especially the best actors, that it's not explainable, it's not logical, it's not just some acting process, you tap into some deeper connection to the material, and maybe a character who has a background and a a life that is nothing that is familiar to you, nothing you can relate to consciously, and yet, as you play with the material... It taps into some deep, unfathomable place inside of you where all of a sudden you connect to that character as if you had lived that experience, as if you understand that background, that job, that education, that life experience that person had, even though in this life, in your own being, you've never experienced anything even remotely similar. So there's something that acting really, and this is what I love about it, is that it taps you into this unfathomable place where, in a sense, we connect to uh, infinite possibilities And learning how to actually step off the cliff into that place where you can explore and create and express yourself from a level, a deeper level, you know, that's really the challenge. That's the best actors have different ways of doing it, but the best actors seem to be able to go to that place. Agreed, agreed.
0: Now, can you tell us a little bit about, you mentioned earlier, The Great War of Magellan. Can you tell us more about its premise and what does it take to produce such a project?
2: Well, think of it this way. Look at the Bible, look how creation started, and think about if you're going to create a universe of your own, if you were a god and you were going to create a universe with whatever the physics of that universe is, you've got to work out all of that down to what kind of creatures, animals, people, human beings, or species would, would exist and why. And you can't just throw them on a page. You've got to get in touch with the underbelly of creation. You've got to really evolve it in a very, very profound way. Again, great talented people sometimes can write stories developing new universes, and they can't explain to you how they did it or where it came from. I call it almost a form of channeling. We connect on some level to a deeper well of creativity, of intelligence. Building a universe is really an extraordinary adventure. I've spent 10 years... Working on, actually, long now, probably 13 years now, it seems like, working on Magellan without taking it anywhere, but just really exploring this universe. The question always was, it was a big question for me, which kind of stimulated Magellan, which was, why is it that the greatest way showers of this world, those who were born with new ideas, new ways of seeing things, new ways of Experiencing the world, who brought in new technologies, new anything. I mean, so often when Clan of the Cave Bear, you saw that evolution with the woman who was born a little smarter, a little more aware, and uh, the rest of the people didn't understand her. You know, they wanted to push her away out of the tribe because she wasn't like them. And, you know, the people that are born different are misunderstood by everybody around them. And many way showers that have come in history with. Again, new ideas, new technologies, new ways of doing everything. They were looked at many times as being evil, as being bad, as being this or that, and they were thrown in dungeons, in prisons. They were tortured. They were killed, put on crosses. The the point I'm making is, is that I, I've always been fascinated by these wayshowers who have actually moved civilization forward and yet have paid a huge price. And the fact is probably most wayshowers don't survive or live long enough to even share their gifts, and yet those that find a way to survive are the ones that actually may have made the difference in terms of how civilization has progressed. We wouldn't have electricity, we wouldn't have cars, we wouldn't have phones, we wouldn't have any of the stuff we had without those way back in time, and many of those way didn't even get credit for the you know the breakthroughs in technology or new ways of thinking and doing things so the point i I'm making is that stimulated a story that where I could explore these wayshores in a different universe where these people are born different, it's not that they're special than everybody else, it's just that their wiring is different and they are accessing more of our inherent talent. They say we only use two parts of the brain. Imagine if we were using four or five or 10 or 20, what would we be capable of doing? But these people are born with this recessive gene becoming dominant, having access to a whole well of information and understanding and of course they go through the same challenging road they are misunderstood they're ridiculed they're pushed away many of them are killed but there are some who survive and this is the story of the in a sense the first survivor this character Achillean who again takes us on this journey through the Magellanic Cloud and Seven Evolutions of Mankind, Wars, Destructions. And it kind of explores the second theme that I wanted to explore beyond the way showers is why is it that mankind seems to have this self-destruct mechanism? Civilizations rise and fall, and they don't last all that long. Every civilization in history has risen to a pinnacle of achievement, and then self-destruct it. We human beings seem to have some kind of tension for war and self-destruction. And I wanted to explore where did that come from? And in the Magellanic Cloud, we really get into the root or we explore that programming or that process by which mankind seems to be following this programming that they haven't been able to break. And here's a civilization that ultimately is leading itself to its own self-destruction. And of course, we get to follow that journey through Achillian's eyes because we see him from the time he's a child until the time he's older, but he ends up living thousands of years, of course. And we follow this story that really is pretty powerful because I don't think there's ever been a story that took place over thousands, if not ten thousands of years. And this character enters and exits out of the framework of time and uh, left the only accounts of history as war has destroyed so much of this universe and his accounts, his logs, Achillean's logs become the stories that are being told the stories that really show these time frames when he enters into the framework of time and, and we get to see where the world is and what's happening with that particular world but this world mirrors a lot of what's going on in this world and we get to slowly understand how the lessons in his logs, which ultimately eons later get woven into a series of novels actually have some very powerful information that humanity needs to pay attention to so that we don't go down the same road that they went down. Great stories always have more than just a series of characters going through a challenging circumstance and then finding resolution at the end. Here we have compelling characters that we can all relate to going through life and death circumstances, the most challenging of circumstances imaginable. But the larger picture is that through time and through this journey of of Achillean, and of these other characters, we get to see some larger questions being addressed about who we human beings are, how we've evolved, how we've fallen off the path, how we've lost our way, and will we survive into the future? And I explore a lot of those questions.
1: I want to talk, and most people know you obviously from your work, your great work, on Battlestar Galactica, both of the series, plural. I think you're the only actor to appear in both of those series. I think that's correct, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I wrote that in my contract. that They could only use me and nobody else. No. <laughs> Not really. Well, well, they, you're a skilled I, negotiator. I, a skilled yeah. negotiator. Well done. <laughs> I, felt, I felt very fortunate. Well, actually, uh, I was hoping they'd bring on some of the characters. And I think maybe had the show lasted a few more years, which I definitely think it should have. I think they might have been able to bring on another character. At least it would have been great to see Dirk come on or Herb Jefferson or a few of the other characters be able to come on and play a role. I think it was really nice of them, and I was really very appreciative of actually giving me, not a cameo, but I heard about Tom Zarek. I thought, this is a character that I could really connect to. I really love the political revolutionary. Oh, Nelson Mandela, and for me, as I've told so many people, I look at this character more as a heroic character, seriously, not because I need to be a hero, but I honestly think that sometimes the people in the world who sometimes do the most have the courage to challenge the powers that be many times like William Wallace you know and Braveheart they get written out of history because the powers that be are threatened by somebody who challenges their authority and I think Tom Zarek challenged the authority of the Battlestar uh, universe and basically said you're losing your way you're doing the same thing that people have done over and over again which is You think you know what's right for everybody and then democracy becomes a dictatorship. And I think he suffered through that and he had challenged government, paid a price for it, and now he was attempting to challenge what was happening on Galactica. And of course, he paid a big price for it. But of course, everybody perceives characters as they will. And a character can be aspected in more of a negative way so that you always think, well, he must be a bad guy because everybody says he's a bad guy. You know, but the question is, If you really think about it, is he the bad guy? Is he the guy that's taking away democracy, that's rigging elections, throwing people in prison if they don't agree? I mean, once we love characters, it's funny how we are as human beings. We will forgive people that we fall in love with over and over again for breaking rules that had they done that in this world, in this country. But in a hypothetical framework, we relate to characters and we like them because we get emotionally connected to them and we will forgive them anything. But I think with the Tom Zarek character, we never got to really know his motivations. So people assumed, because that's what Adama and Rosalind always said, that I'm a bad guy. Although their son, Apollo, it's interesting, even at the end, he made a comment in one of the last episodes where he said, you know, if you can get past the arrogance, and I wouldn't call it arrogance, but he said, if you get past the arrogance, Zarek is right. That came out of Apollo's mouth as they were heading down to the bridge to, to arrest Geta and Zarek. So, again, you know, there was a lot of layers to Battlestar. So that's what I loved about that show, is that it wasn't about cliché, good and bad, right and wrong. People were thrown into a very powerful life-and-death circumstances where good people ended up doing bad things for good reasons. But it also shows you, and I wish this is a theme that could have been probably developed more, uh, although, you know, there's only so much time in any show, but... I always thought how easy democracy can be lost in a post 9 11 circumstance. How easy that can happen. And good people can end up assuming power and assuming that they know what's best for everybody. And of course, that's where democracy becomes a dictatorship, where they no longer have to build consensus. They can just lay the rule of the law and say, This is what you do, or else. It's good for you. It's the right thing to do, but I'm going to make you do it. I'm going to make you do the right thing. That's a dictatorship not a democracy. And that's what was happening on Galactica. Well said.
1: I Actually, I just I have to make a personal comment. I loved Zarek. I have to tell you, the best thing about Battlestar is that the bad guys never really were bad guys. They were people with a different agenda, they were people with different goals and Tom Zarek was the first, quote, bad guy they introduced on a recurring basis, by the end of the episode, he was a reasonable fellow. He made a deal with Apollo. And it just, it set the tone, it set the tone for the rest of the show that your opponent isn't necessarily your enemy. He may be your opponent, but he's not necessarily your enemy. Sorry, personal comment, personal aside. I had to... Well, the truth of it is, is that I think it's,
2: the the good guy doesn't always win. In fact, many times through history, the bad guys won. And so often the so-called, people that win aren't always the good guys. Bad guys have a a talent for disguising themselves as good guys. And they have a great ability for disguising good guys as bad guys. And the question is, does the layman see the difference? And so often they don't, because they don't have all the facts or all the information. And you know, if somebody states truth strong enough, powerful enough way, we all tend to believe it. Like, if it's written, it must be true. Although we have begun to be a little bit more skeptical now of what is written and what governments say or what anybody says, no matter what their position of authority is. We started to realize that people are capable of lying and manipulating the truth, and so we have to become free thinkers that think things through for ourselves and come to our own decisions. But that's what I like Zeric. I mean, he challenged authority, and for me, I always played him as a guy that had an agenda, and that agenda was not power, was not to be in a position of power. But it was to keep the government honest and to do the right thing, again, as he had paid a price earlier on for becoming a terrorist and challenging a dictatorial government. Went to prison for 25 years, so now he must be a bad guy, right? Because he was in prison. Well, the English made William Wallace the bad guy. And yet, who was the bad guy there? Well, England was trying to put their authority over Ireland and Scotland. They were asserting their will, and they wanted autonomy. So, you know, again, from each perspective, the other guy is the bad guy.
0: So I wanted to ask you then, with all these underlying tones then, would you say that with a 24-year hiatus, was that what helped Battlestar Galactica survive? Is that what brought it back?
2: Well, first of all, even though the first show was only on for a year, it was probably the most watched sci-fi show of all time. Um, I don't think any sci-fi show in history had ever had 65 million people watch the debut episode. And this was 65 million people that were not necessarily hardcore sci-fi people. These were just regular people who had fallen in love with Star Wars and realized that even if they didn't like sci-fi in general, that Star Wars had something that they could all relate to and connect to. And so when Battlestar came on right after Star Wars, a lot of people were willing to watch this show and see you know, what it was all about. So we got a huge audience. But more than that, this epic story, which is very archetypal, it's a story that everybody can relate to. It's about family. It's about surviving the Holocaust. It's about mankind and their struggle to deal with unimaginable challenges and finding ways to get through it, to find solutions. And dealing with your dark side, one day being the hero, the next day being the villain. That's what life and death circumstances can do, just like anybody who ever went to war can tell you. And that's something we could all relate to. So I think Battlestar had this common denominator that people of all ages, demographics, backgrounds, religions, philosophies, there was something epic in this story and something profoundly human that they could all relate to. Sci-fi was always a sketchy thing for networks, especially back then. But the people remembered it, and there was very dedicated fans to the story. I've never seen a one-year show touch people so profoundly. People that never forgot the show, passed it along to their friends to watch it. Very much like Firefly on another level, only eight, nine episodes, and yet one of the most dedicated fan bases in history is the Browncoats because something in that show really, really touched those people. And I I consider myself a Browncoat too, by the way. I love that show. But the point I'm making is it had a very powerful Deeper story. Beyond the fireworks and flying through space, there was something about this sense of family struggling to survive, watch each other's back, get through this post-Holocaust situation. And this journey, unlike what people would normally look at is from the Earth to the stars, here was another human civilization out there traveling back towards Earth, and that there was a relationship that we had with those people. And all those kinds of things, I think, really intrigued people, even the the layman who was not a sci-fi aficionado. So all of that kept it alive. And then when the Sci-Fi Channel launched, Battlestar was its loose pin. So it kind of re-energized the Battlestar marketplace. And then there was companies all going out there, picking licenses and building new games and toys for a show that was only on one year, and was 20 years ago, and here you have new companies building games, toys, and merchandise. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. So all of that kept Battlestar alive in the universe, and obviously in this day and age. You can't find a channel somewhere out there that doesn't play programming from every decade. You know, music is played from every decade now, and kids even know all about music that was played in the 60s and 70s. We're aware of the whole topography of history, art, stories, shows, television shows, movies. So I think uh, never before has there been more of a holistic world where we're more aware of all the things that have come before. And I think all of that kind of kept Battlestar up there in the consciousness, the forefront of people's imaginations. But ultimately, it just seemed to kind of keep trickling down the different people and ultimately the ball bounced into brian and tom who were did the x-men series they decided they wanted to do a Battlestar galactica series and they were going to do a continuation the same as me but ultimately i think tom and brian both obviously had their own vision for where they wanted to take it but it was a continuation many years down the line from the original and they were going to use several of the original characters but uh, all that fell apart because Sci-Fi Channel and NBC couldn't seem to wrap themselves around that until, I think, they decided to do this reimagined version. And I don't know how that evolved exactly, whether it was Ron Moore coming to them with a proposal or whether they hired Ron Moore to develop something. I don't know exactly how that worked, but I think it was kind of an evolution over the course of time that ultimately brought Battlestar back. But it also, fortunately had one of the most brilliant writer-producers, I think, in the industry. He's so far beyond so many people. I think most people don't even realize they're not even able to appreciate sometimes, I think, the talents of Ron Moore, even though many do. But I think in the future, you'll see some pretty brilliant things coming from Ron Moore. But they've hired one of the most talented, gifted producer-writers, sci-fi notwithstanding. I mean, I'm sure he could write anything. But anyway, he came on board, put together an incredible team, and... The rest was history. I mean, they didn't just make a cheesy ripoff of Battlestar. They did an incredible reimagining that really actually went more into the core story than the original because 30 years later, the sci-fi channel let them go into the uh, powerful core story of Battlestar, of surviving a Holocaust and the everyday challenges that brought out the best and worst in, in every human being. So I just think everybody was kind of played a role in all of that.
1: I want to go back to your, the first question and talk about some of the uh, answers you gave earlier about how you're, you bring your own experiences sometimes to a role, and, and sometimes that when you really get into it, you find that deeper connection to a role. And yeah. Tom Zarek, the character, you know, he's a guy that fought for his vision of the future, and you know, he got sent to prison by the establishment for what he believed. And Richard Hatch, the actor, you know, you fought for your vision of the future for your character for Apollo, yeah. and the studio went a completely different direction. I got to know. Is there a little Tom Zarek and Richard Hatch? Maybe a little Richard Hatch and Tom Zarek?
2: There's a lot of Tom Zarek and Richard Hatch, and the reason I say that is because I've kind of been out of the box my whole life. I've always, for so many years, I kept wondering why. Am I I just not getting this right? Is there something wrong with me because I don't see things the way everybody else sees it? Am I missing something? And then as I got more educated, I realized that, you know, this is a crazy world where sometimes it's upside down, where sometimes, like I said, the good guys are the bad guys and the bad guys are the good guys. Everything is in reverse. You know, we all, at one point in time, we always thought the people that represented us were perfect and did all the right things and, you know, apple pie, and then we slowly began to realize that there's people in all positions of power who are capable of doing bad things and many do do bad things, and there's also very good people. But I think as I began to see all of that, I... I really began to challenge authority in a way I'd never done before. I began to challenge what people do and what people see and what people think. That kind of took me on my own journey as an actor, finding out about myself, learning about myself, because I had enough stories that a lot of people can relate to, but I felt very alone and isolated. And I went on a journey of discovery. I didn't dig a hole. I had this need to find out solutions and answers to what was holding me back, what was causing me to be so, you know, fearful of the future and why I was having so much problem even opening my mouth and being able to express my thoughts and feelings. I was all locked up and so I went through every form of philosophy, psychology, every healing modality, learning about nutrition, learning about science, studying and trying to find out stuff. So that whole journey just ultimately took me through a period of really being angry at the world, angry at governments, angry at the way things were being done because I saw a lot of unfairness. I saw a lot of people getting away with murder, I saw a lot of good people being compromised. And I kind of identified with, I think, Zarek's point of view of looking at how easy government can drift from democracy. In fact, a democracy really is of the people, by the people, for the people. So therefore, the reality is the vast majority of people are not involved in government. They don't care about government. They want it either to be as far away as possible or they want it to come save them if everything falls apart. But the trouble is most people are not involved in the process of the government, and therefore governments actually are not made accountable as much as they should, even though we have a process of accountability from the executive, judicial, legislative. The various areas of government are supposed to keep everybody playing the game fair, but it's really us, the people, who need to be more involved to keep our government straight and doing the right thing, and challenging and standing up and being willing to do that, which most people aren't. So Tom Zarek was a character who did stand up, and I just related to him. I, I relate to people like you know William Wallace who stood up against England and he rallied people. But you know it took somebody with the courage to stand up and do that. And there's been characters like that through history, and many of them paid a huge price. I kind of saw all the challenges and issues and ills of the world, and I just saw a lot of unfairness and. That doesn't mean I don't see the good things, too, or that there's good people. There's good people in every walk of life. But it just, I got angry, and I got frustrated, and I want to make a difference. And that obviously led me into teaching and lecturing and doing workshops and seminars to empower people. It also led me into wanting to play roles and be part of shows and movies that actually would inspire people. That went far beyond entertainment.
0: Wonderful. We can take this moment now to wrap up a little bit. We want to open the mic to you and talk to us about your current projects, what you're working on, what's on the horizon, and what we should look forward to?
2: Well, doing many things. I have a reality show about the business called Who the Frack. Uh, you can go to who the whothefrack.com right now. There's just little excerpts up there, but we're actually building shows. I host cruises around the world, uh, do my seminars and workshops. People can go to richardhatchcruise.com. We rebuilt Battlestargo.com into a social network, a la Facebook. We're going to be up-leveling that. I'm putting together a movie, Don't Let the Sun Catch You Crying," which I'm working on to direct. And this Magellan project, which is my big babe. Uh, we're going to launch the first novel and a series of graphic novels later on this year. And then uh, what else? I'm from a bunch of movies. One was Dead by Friday, a Goodfellas-type movie. Shot an old-fashioned sci-fi movie called Pod with Vernon Wells. I've done a series of Internet movies called "The uh, Silicon Assassin, uh, which is a political piece. Very quirky, very funny, humorous, political piece. And I'm involved in a bunch of other things. I'm going to be shooting a pilot here uh, next week in Florida. And then um, I'm shooting a movie in, uh, in Ohio in a couple of months. So in between all of that, I teach and lecture. I do acting workshops around the country, Utah, Ohio, California. And I teach it at many, many different conventions. I'm going to be teaching my acting at Galacticon, Battlestar Convention, Houston, Texas, in May 23rd. So a whole bunch of stuff
0: very exciting very exciting well mr hatch thank you so very much for joining us on this episode of trek it out thank you again and we really appreciate it.
2: oh you're more than welcome thank you guys